It's hashtag new year, new me time again. When everything seems possible and we promise ourselves this year, we're going to do it better. But in 2019, instead of making fitness promises that you have no intention of keeping, why not get your personal finances in shape? With the help of our Investec experts, it's easier than you think. I'm Garabos Khoda from Investec Private Banking, and welcome to another Investec Focus Radio podcast. Today I'm talking to five Investec experts, and we're chatting a bit about sorting out our finances this year, especially around the topics of saving, estate planning and investing, life insurance, and fraud. So let's get started with Rene Khrobla from Investec Cash Investment and the tricky topic of saving. I mean, we all know we need to spend less and save more, but it's one of those nebulous things where you very often don't even know where to start really. Now, interest rates have gone up. That means that whatever debt you have becomes more expensive. And one of the first priorities uh, should really be, in my view, as an individual, is to try and clear out your debt. But for many people, that already is a minefield. I mean, how do you get started? The first thing is look at how expensive your debt is. Look at what you get charged. Um, and most often, your most expensive debt is your short-term lifestyle debt. That's where you need to start clearing as fast as you can. And if you really want to set a goal for yourself for the new financial year, it's to really clear out that expensive debt. It, it burns through your disposable income in the form of interest, and it really isn't, uh, in many cases, necessary. So, what you're saying is, I shouldn't go to Coachella on my credit card this year. Do you need such a fancy lifestyle? You know, right-sizing uh, is, is an important part of life as well in order to make sure that you, you have enough money left when you retire to maintain a decent lifestyle. But that's a good point. How am I supposed to know how much I should save now to have enough for like, say, 30, 40 years from now? That really is dependent on what your goals are. Um, you know, retirement, as an example, is something that everybody should be saving for. We know that we're in a situation in South Africa where very few people actually have sufficient money to retire in any uh, kind of uh, lifestyle that they've become accustomed to. Um, many people are only putting away the bare minimum required in terms of an um, employee plan, 5 to 7%. You know, that really isn't enough to keep you in the lifestyle that you need. Um, and uh, the rule of thumb is that you should be saving at least 15% of uh, what you get paid on a monthly basis. Uh, and even then, you know, you need to take into account, you know, other expenditures and other savings goals that you might have on top of um, your retirement plan. Right. So if I want to experience a white Christmas in Europe, then I need to take a long, hard look at my household budget. Is that what you're saying? Getting control of your expenses is something that you can do on your own. But when it comes to longer-term planning for you and your family, the one thing I would say is ask the expert. It's important to look for financial advice. Many people think that you need to have lots of money to have a financial advisor. That's not true. Uh, many financial advisors will help you, uh, even if you have just a little bit to save. Well, speaking of financial advisors, Neil Ermson, how do I go about finding a good one? So generally, the best way to find a good advisor is very often by word of mouth. Many advisors will have had clients or belong to an organization which puts a lot of effort and discipline into making sure that their wealth management business and advisory services are well staffed, are very well considered, and have a number of processes which ensure that there's consistency in the message and the advice that's delivered to clients. 
So I think the two key things are one, are you able to get some form of reference? And secondly, is the institution that you're dealing with, does it have the depth that would allow that wealth manager to have the surrounding services and expertise that are needed to deliver a 360-degree service to a client? Cool. And then your new financial advisor can help you sort out your budget, as Renee said, and help you put away some savings. He or she can also advise you on investing those savings, right? So what do we need to know about investing in 2019? So I think there's a possibility that as we move into 2019, having had a really difficult 2018, both politically and in the second half of the year from a market point of view, that people become too pessimistic. So the things we would guard against would, would be becoming overly pessimistic when the probabilities of that being a correct outcome are not necessarily indicative of a pessimistic outcome. So for example, at the moment, I think there is a 60-40 chance that South Africa has a cyclical problem as opposed to a structural problem. And what this would imply is you need to watch the environment, but not get overly pessimistic. And in fact, as asset prices decline, what you'd want to do is add to your portfolio in the, in the areas where assets become cheap. I think in 2019, the things from a macro point of view, which one needs to be aware of, are very often these macro things don't necessarily help you in making investment decisions. But what the macro things can do is change the price of assets, which then makes it easier to make a decision about the entry point that you're looking for into that asset. So internationally, you know, clearly the end of Brexit, or hopefully the end of Brexit, is one to be concerned about. Um, more importantly, though, will be the continuation of the play out between quantitative easing and quantitative tightening as we move from an environment where money was cheap and interest rates were very low into an environment where maybe liquidity is possibly tighter than it has been in the past and what that means for asset prices. From a local point of view, I think politics continues to play a big role and one would need to keep a very close eye on the elections and how the elections play out in terms of what might happen after the elections, both from a confidence point of view and from a legislative point of view. Yeah, Brexit, elections, we have a big year ahead of us, hey? With that in mind, Michael Humans, let's talk about insurance, specifically life insurance. If you're taking a bit of time to reassess your financial circumstances, your life insurance, I think the most important thing is to update your insurance as your personal circumstances change. So when you think about it, life cover is not actually for you. You're going to be dead, right? So you've got to think about the people who you are leaving it to. And that's often the case that it's family who may rely on your income to get by when you're alive. So you must update your life cover as your earnings and your level of debt change. That's probably the most important thing I would say around updating your life insurance. But the same is actually also true on other benefits like disability or income protection. You know, yeah, you are going to be alive, but potentially incapacitated or unable to work. Uh, but you need an income to live off. So it's critical that you also update your level of cover as your income changes. And maybe the third thing I would say is it's even more important to update your cover if you, for example, are corporate employed and you change jobs because uh, there's typically life and disability cover included in company retirement funds. And if you change, your levels of cover might change. So it's important you're conscious of that, you take that into account and you adjust any personal cover you have over and above that uh, accordingly. But we're not all at the same level of income and at the same point in our careers, right? How do you determine what level of coverage you need at any given life stage? The stage that you're at in your life is a, is a critical determinant of not only how much life cover you have, but also what, what type you have. Um, 
So if, for example, you're young, you've got no dependents, you, you might not even need much life insurance. Uh, you know, it's only if you've got someone who you want to leave something to that's, that's left behind or, or survives uh, after you that you might want some life cover. But you might want to consider some of the non-life type of insurance like disability or income protection or illness cover when you're young because you might not die, but you might be alive but with some kind of condition that you need to take care of yourself with. If, on the other hand, you're in a life stage where you're married, where you've got kids, where potentially you're the primary breadwinner, you typically want to leave behind an amount of life cover that replaces the income you would have provided for your family. So in that life stage, that's often when people kind of buy the most life and disability cover because you've got people you're looking after that you want to be protected should anything happen to you. And then as you get older, you might need less cover, you might need it for different reasons. So... Uh, you may start to think a little bit more about estate planning and ensuring that there's enough liquidity in your estate, if you die, to pay for estate duties and taxes and ensuring efficient transfer of assets and cover amounts to beneficiaries. So the stage of life you're in and what your circumstances and priorities and considerations are is an important driver of what you buy and how much you buy. That nudges us into your area of expertise, René Fancel, estate planning. What do we need to know about this? Well, let's start at the beginning. I think one of the building blocks of your bigger global estate plan is a will. A will is an instrument that's used to transfer assets from the one generation to the next. So estate planning is really about putting plans in place for your family, like your inheritance and what you're leaving behind. So where should we start? So when formulating an estate plan, I would say you need to consider the following factors. We are living in a new global transparent world. All the, all the tax authorities in the world are exchanging information with one another. Therefore, you need to make sure that all your tax affairs are in order. Your current structures need to be reviewed in light of all the tax changes. International tax, especially inheritance tax, also referred to as CITES tax, need to be reviewed and see if there's any implications on your bigger estate plan. You need to be mindful of where your beneficiaries and your assets are situated. It's not only funds living in South Africa, but if I look at my own personal scenario, 60% of my family and my friends live abroad. Therefore, it's imperative to make sure that you know where your beneficiaries are located and where your assets are situated, as these two factors will have a significant impact on your wealth preservation. Okay, so say I'm reviewing my estate plan to get my new year off on the right track. What are some of the key elements that people often overlook? I think people often forget that even though they are tax residents in South Africa, they are global citizens and they've got assets and beneficiaries all over the world. Each country will effectively impose their own rules. Therefore, clients often forget to think about the assets that are situated in a certain country and the impact that will have on their global estate planning. In the new year, when they have time to relook their wills, make sure that they are clear on where the assets and the beneficiaries are situated, as that will have a significant impact on the preservation of their wealth. And preserving our wealth is what it's all about in 2019, I've decided. So, Kevin Hogan, talk to me about fraud and the various ways people want to separate me from my money and how I can outwit them. I think for me, doing what I do, there are three things that come to mind. 
Two of them we, we, we repeat all the time. It's phishing emails. I think we're never going to stop talking about that. Password management is the other one. We're never going to stop talking about that. But I think the third one really is people are giving away their information too easily. So when you're going to your cell phone provider for your new upgrade and they ask you for all this information, uh, when you are applying for online store cards, uh, filling out surveys in social media, people are just too generous with their personal information. How do you mean? Some people are better at keeping your information safe than others. And should you start to become selfish with your information? So for example, let's use a big retailer, online retailer. They probably spend millions on security, on uh, uh, information security, things like that, as opposed to a one-man band startup maybe selling bicycles on his website. He's not spending millions on security. Uh, you're giving him your banking information, perhaps your street address, your ID, your name, your surname. Do you know that the one-man band bicycle guy is got all the right security and protection to keep the data or information you're giving him safe? Okay. The answer is probably not. And so as you go into the new year, one of the underlying themes is who are you going to trust with your data? Who are you going to trust with your information? And you need to become selfish with that information. Be very careful who you are giving that information to. There are certain elements that people ask that you don't have to give them. I think a lot of this stuff has become so routine for most people. We don't even stop to think if they really need to ask us for that information. Let's talk about phishing. It's a, it's a theme we've talked about for years. Phishing and password management are responsible for 99% of all cybercrime. If you just fix those two, you would probably solve the potential risk of cybercrime in your personal life and in your business life by 99%. All phishing emails are designed to do is to get you to click on a link to redirect you to a login screen or to get you to give away personal information. That's all they're designed to do. And some phishing emails are better than others. Some you can see are created by some guy whose first language is not English, uh, trying to con you into giving away. And for, for a lot of us, it's a no-brainer. We can see the wood for the trees. But every now and then, we get a phishing email that looks super genuine. It looks like it comes from your bank. It looks like it comes from your cell phone provider. They've referenced you by name. Uh, they've referenced what kind of phone you have by name or what account you have by name. Um, and they come up with some convoluted story that sounds very convincing collecting rewards points, verifying your information, things like that. A lot of the time, they'll email you saying, we're from the fraud department, we've had some funny transactions being attempted on your account, uh, please confirm A, B, and C just to make sure that it's you before we continue. And typically, they're asking you for your login credentials or your one-time PIN, things like that. So what do we do to avoid phishing? I mean, it obviously still works, or crooks wouldn't still be using it. Don't use links to go to login screens. You must type in the URL every single time, www.investtech.com, every single time. Don't use shortcuts to get there. Okay, very, very, very important. The other one is password management. It sounds very trivial, but most people are using the same username and password on multiple accounts. That's what's getting them into trouble. Or they are using weak passwords. One, two, three, four, five, six is not a password. Hackers will either guess your password or if they fish you and you give away your password, now they can get into not just the site that you were pretending to be on, but into multiple sites where you've used the same username and password. 
So it's very important to have unique username and passwords for each of your accounts. So that if one does happen to get compromised, you don't compromise everything else. The other thing is, is to use passwords that are 15 characters or longer, uppercase, lowercase letters and symbols. But for most people, they can't remember all those passwords. So what do I do? Well, it's very easy. You can use a password manager. The thing with password managers is you say to me, Kevin, well, it's online, is it safe? Four of the five major password managers have had issues in the past, but I would much rather you use a password manager than use the same username and password on multiple accounts. It's far better to do that. If you're old school and you don't like technology, write your passwords on a piece of paper. Keep two pieces of paper, one in the safe and one on you. That's another way to do it. Or you can remember passphrases. So those are some of the techniques that you can use to remember passwords so that you don't fall into this trap of using the same username and password on multiple accounts. Technology is taking over. You are not going to end up in a situation where you're not engaging with technology. It's your bad habits that are getting you into trouble. And if there are three things that I, I hope that you can take into the new year and spend a lot of time and energy trying to change, it's recognizing phishing emails for what they are, effective password management, and making sure that whoever you're giving your data to knows how to protect that data and that they're reputable. Don't just give your data out to any Tom, Dick and Harry. Well... There you have it. You can't hope for a better New Year's resolution than that. Thanks, everyone. You've given us all a lot to think about. Here's to a happy, safe, and above all, wealthy 2019. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time on Investec Focus Radio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.